you know, the most meaningful, the most rewarding pursuit that you could ever take, the most meaningful course you could take in your life, is to dwell on the glory of Christ and to exalt Him above all. Let me repeat that. The most meaningful, the most rewarding pursuit that you could ever take is to dwell on the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and live to exalt Him. To see His glory and to worship Him. He is incomparable in power and in goodness. We could pile on all of the attributes that the Scripture speaks of. His justice. His kindness. His wisdom. All other pursuits promise much. There are many things that we could pursue. But they pass away. But to know the Lord Jesus, God in the flesh, is to have a hope that endures. And we want to look to Him this morning. The Gospel of Mark chapter 9. I'm going to go verse by verse or a couple verses at a time. And talk about three things. A promise. A preview. And a paradox. A promise, a preview, and a paradox. As we look to see the glory of Christ. Verse 1 of Mark chapter 9. And He said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. The great promise of Christ here is a word of comfort and hope. He has just said, if you want to follow me, you have to come and die. It's not going to be easy. Here is this word of, of hope. The promise of Christ is a sure word. Jesus doesn't idly say, I tell you the truth. Or, Amen, I say to you. This is a sure word. That some, not all, there's a, there's a specific frame here for this promise that some of those that were standing there would not taste death. They wouldn't experience death until they saw the kingdom of God having come with power. This was a word of hope for those that were standing there. And it's a word of hope for us as well. See, what follows in the account of the transfiguration of Christ is a preview of His power and glory. The fact that 
the account of the transfiguration immediately follows Jesus' solemn promise. It indicates to us that Jesus had this moment in mind as a marker, an unveiling where he would reveal himself in all his glory. But the transfiguration is not an end in itself. It is a a signpost pointing us to the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know this because Peter, one of the three disciples with Christ on the mountain, tells us this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. He says, we don't follow clever myths when we made known to you the power and coming of Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we know that? Because we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he tells them, about this encounter where Jesus Christ was glorified by the Father in heaven. And so we can rest assured and have hope knowing that if God kept His promise to reveal the kingdom, reveal His power and glory to some that were standing there on that day on the mountain. That He will keep His promise to come again in power and glory. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever seated on the throne with that glory today. This is a promise that we can count on. This is a promise that has been fulfilled. It points us to Christ's return. Well, after six days, verse 2, this promise of Jesus becomes a preview. Verse 2. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. Jesus took them up to a mountain. He selected three. He's chosen them on a couple of occasions already. Peter, James, and John to be His special witnesses at various times. This is one of them. And the student of the Bible will notice as we read this and as we continue to read what happens that we're being introduced to old imagery. That this has happened before. God has revealed Himself in these same ways. He's now revealing Himself in the person of His Son. A mountain has often been throughout Scripture the setting where God revealed Himself. Both Elijah and Moses who appear with Christ in verse 4. We'll read that in a moment. Both Elijah and Moses encountered the Lord on a mountain. And read about those accounts in Exodus 24, Exodus 34, and 1 Kings 19. 
And God's revelation of himself to Moses in Exodus 24 and 34 bears striking similarities to Christ's transfiguration. Moses spends six days in preparation on the mountain. While Jesus takes the disciples up the mountain after six days. Moses takes three named people along with 70 of the elders. Jesus takes three disciples. So there are differences, okay? There are differences. But it's in the similarities and the differences that we see. We see the truth revealed. Moses comes down with a shining appearance. Jesus himself is gloriously transfigured. In both accounts, in Exodus and in Mark, God appears veiled in a cloud. And both times a voice speaks from the cloud. And God reveals himself. To his people. The revelation on Mount Sinai casts a shadow, a dim view that points us to the day that Jesus' glory was unveiled. And so we read in Mark 9, verse 2 and he was transfigured. Before them, he was changed. His glory became revealed, though it was veiled. Verse 3 His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. The glory of God the Son, veiled by His humanity, was unveiled on that mountain. The curtains of heaven were opened so that the brilliant glory of Jesus' deity shone out. Like the song we sang this morning, what other glory outshines the sun? What other splendor outshines the sun? Even his clothes were brighter and purer than anybody on earth could wash them. This is the one who is, Hebrews 1 verse 3, the radiance, the outshining of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. He is God. This is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Christ's glory is the glory of God. It's being revealed there on that day. Brighter and more worthy of praise than any other. The knowledge of the glory of God, we're told in the Scriptures, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, the knowledge of the glory of God is found where? It is in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what's being revealed. 
as Jesus is transfigured and he appears so bright and glorious. Now to add to the significance of this event, we have the three witnesses of the disciples who saw this and can tell, could tell us of this. We also have Moses and Elijah. Saints of old appear in verse 4. Elijah appeared with, to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. It's of these two Men that the prophet Malachi wrote. Malachi said in chapter 4, the end of the Old Testament revealing of God revealing Himself for revelation was silent for 400 years. This is what Malachi said. Remember the law of my servant Moses. Remember that. Remember him, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Malachi 4, 4 through 6. These men's presence heralds redemption for those who Fear God. This was the beginning of a glorious hope. A new beginning. God is revealing Himself not merely through a prophet, but in the person of His Son who is Himself the fullness of deity dwelling in, in human flesh. In the midst of this unique time, we have three disciples waking up and seeing all of this, and they respond a lot like we might. Verse 5, Peter, Peter's the spokesman so often in Mark's gospel. He is the primary eyewitness testimony behind the Gospel of Mark. And so Peter says in verse 5, Rabbi or teacher, it is good for us to be here. Now let us make three tabernacles or three booths, a tent. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he didn't know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Now, Maybe Peter was thinking about the first exodus and the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe he thought Jesus would forget all of his talk about dying and the kingdom of God was coming right then and there. Elijah and Moses were here. It's just going to get better. But all we know for certain, we can't peer into the mind of Peter here per se. What we are told is that Peter's remarks came from a place of ignorance and fear. He had no clue what to say. He didn't know what to say because he was afraid. They all were. 
So he says the first thing that came to mind. Instead of dwelling on what Peter says, we're to dwell on what God says in the very next verse because it's then that God speaks. God tells Peter what he needs to know, what he needs to understand of the significance of this event. Why it matters. What does God want us to do in response to the glory of Christ wasn't to make tents for him. Verse 7, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. This is my son whom I love. Listen to Him. The glory of God is revealed from the cloud just like it was on Mount Sinai. When God speaks, what does He say? He identifies the Son whom He loves. And He tells us to pay attention to Him. Listen to what He says. God's own testimony here is that above all we must heed Christ because He is the Son of God. He is loved by the Father. They are one. And almost as if to visibly drive the point home, Verse 8, suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one else there, but only Jesus with themselves. He is the final word. As much as Moses and Elijah point us to Christ, we should listen to them. But the prophets aren't an end to themselves. They point us to Jesus Christ and His glory. Jesus completes and surpasses all of them. For He alone reveals the Father because it is in Him. Colossians 2 verse 9 that the fullness of deity dwells bodily. It's in Him and no one else. If you guys hear nothing else this morning, be sure you listen to Christ. He is the King of glory. The one whom the Father loves. The curtain has been pulled back to reveal Christ's glory. A preview. We know that as the rest of the Scriptures reveal, Christ was raised from the dead in power. He has ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. He directs the affairs of this world 
until He shall come again to rule and to reign. And He's bringing His rule and dominion in the world today. In the lives of His people. Through the work of His church. We may not see the glory of Christ with these eyes. We can see and believe Him as we encounter Him in His Word. And be reminded of the day that He will come again. And that that curtain will be Hold back for good. Heaven and earth will be joined together. God will dwell with His people. But the time was not yet for the King to be announced and for this to take place. So we read in verse 9, Now as they came down from the mountain, He commanded them that they should tell no one the things they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Jesus says it is not the time for them to share what they had seen or heard. And he tells them that that time would come when this was fulfilled, when when he was risen. Then it would be time. Now is the time to proclaim the power and glory of Jesus Christ. But then, for that time, they were to wait. So they kept this word to themselves, verse 10, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And verse 11, and they asked him, saying, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? You have to understand here, they're trying to understand this talk of the Messiah dying and rising. They just haven't, they don't get it yet. It doesn't fit with their understanding of Jesus' mission. So they ask about Elijah because Elijah was prophesied to come before the day of the Lord. And they expected on that day that the king would reign. That he would come in power and glory. They're trying to put these pieces together. Understand what is the Christ's plan? How is this going to work? Well, Jesus answers them in verse 12. Then He answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that He must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Jesus tells them that they are right. Elijah must come first. But this does not mean what they think it means. Paradox. That's the third word there. Promise was given. 
preview was given, and now paradox. The paradox of God's plan is that the kingdom would not come in power without the suffering that was foretold. When Jesus asked the question, and how is it written? Or, and why is it written concerning the Son of Man that He must suffer many things? He's directing them to the Scripture's testimony. There's something that they have been missing. When they've been thinking about the coming of the Messiah, all along, the plan of God was that His own Son, the Glorious One, revealed on that mount, would be despised and rejected. The Son that He loves would be hated. Would be acquainted with grief. Somebody the world did not honor. That He would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed, the prophet Isaiah says, because of our iniquities. The innocent one would be oppressed and afflicted, making an offering for the guilt of his people. And out of the anguish of his soul, Isaiah 53, verse 11, out of his anguish, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. To be accounted righteous is to be able to stand in the kingdom of God. Have a place with him in glory. And he will bear their iniquities, says Isaiah. What a paradox. How opposite our way of thinking. That on a great mountain, Christ is revealed as the King of glory, the one who's greater than any in creation. And upon another mountain, Mount Calvary, the King of Glory would be lifted up to bear the sins of those that despise Him. The wonder of the Gospel is that the King of Glory would suffer for the sake of His people. That He would die in their place to deliver them from sin and death. That's amazing. Do you know it, it is in this, in the cross, that the glory of God is magnified all the more. The cross becomes the instrument of displaying the glory of God. His suffering reveals His splendor to us. Oh, He's matchless in His Justice and in his power and in his wisdom. But oh, how wonderful it is that he would reveal himself in mercy on that cross. Thank
Thank the Lord for that. For we couldn't stand in the presence of His glory if it wasn't for His grace. But in His mercy, we shall, through faith in Him, stand in the glorious presence of God. Jesus concludes in verse 13. But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come. And they did to him whatever they wished as it is written of him. There is quite a bit of uh, difference of opinion or debate about is there an Elijah yet to come? But here Jesus makes it very plain that he has come already. There is a sense in which Elijah has come. And he's referring to John the Baptist. The Luke's gospel explicitly names him. He's referring to John the Baptist who prepared the way for the Lord, both in his ministry and in his death, where they did to him whatever they wished. A wicked woman, Herodias, had her way. And she was kill- he was killed. And in his death even, John the Baptist prepares the way for us to understand and to see that the Messiah will suffer and die. And that it is in the Savior rising again that we have life. Now we wait for the coming of the King who is enthroned on high. For after making purification for sins, to going to the cross. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, we must listen to Him still today and endure whatever suffering comes our way with hope. With hope not in ourselves, not in our strength or our works or what wisdom we have. But in Christ alone, the King of glory. And this living for the glory of God, this pursuit, living under the dominion of Jesus Christ, doesn't reap instant benefits. We saw that last week. It's carrying a cross. That's what following Jesus looks like. There's no instant gratification that we could just lay hold to materially. It's not even a getting what I want when I want it. That's the way of pursuing myself. 
when we pursue Christ, there is the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus chapter 2. There's the joy of knowing the God who loves us so much that He laid aside His glory to take the form of a human. He became flesh. He laid aside His glory not to attain exaltation. He was already exalted above all as our Creator and Lord. But He laid aside His glory to redeem lost sinners. There's no one greater, no one more worthy than the one revealed on that mountain, Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Malachi put the truth before us quite plainly in his prophecy. Malachi 4, the day is coming, he says, burning like an oven. When all the unarrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. But for you who fear my name, Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. That's the gospel right there. The gospel is this that without Christ, Because you and I have sinned against God. We've fallen short of His pure and holy nature without Him. We will experience the torment of eternal punishment away from the blessed joy and peace of God's presence. But, if you would trust in Christ, the Holy One who laid down His life, taking the place of His people, paying the price for the sins of those who believe in Him. If you believe that He is Lord and that His death paid for your sin, then in Him you will be saved. Not just safe from the wrath of God, but enjoying the blessing of God, His presence. And even today, though we're not promised material gain, we are given, as Ephesians says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're well taken care of by the King of Kings. And so with Him, we can say the sufferings of this present time. Romans 8.18 The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. How much better it is to serve the Lord, to know Him, Praise Christ. Love Him, your God, with all of your being. It's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. 
Because He's worthy. In closing, I want to invite you to hear the words of 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. This is the word spoken about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To the King of the ages, to Him, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.